Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I have in the studio with me the chief executive of Tourism for the Waikato in Hamilton, yeah? Absolutely, Hamilton and Waikato. Yeah, it's the other way around, isn't it? It Well, you can say it either way. We can say it either way. Tourism Waikato is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I want to know how you ended up here. Was this always the dream to do this? (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely not. I think, look, each of us, I mean... You know, when you're kids, you always, some some kids grow up and they'll go, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a pilot. Uh, I never had a dream. I always thought that I just love dealing with people. People's fun. Uh, I love joking around a bit. Uh, so <laughs> I kind of, I've had a really different progression to probably most people who have gone into tourism. Um, I came in through uh, a cadetship when I left high school. Yeah. Um, and then I worked at a council, actually, the first regional council uh, that was set up back in a long time ago. Um, so I was up in Northland and then uh, I stayed in local government for probably about 10 years yep. uh, in Northland, Auckland. Went overseas, as we all do, decided to go do my OE, um, did a bit of recruitment, worked in investment banking, real crazy different sorts of career paths, uh, and then came back and obviously got back into communications and marketing again, which is kind of what I'd done my training in. Right. And was in a council again, looking after Auckland Regional Parks, which was great fun. And then um, went back to Whangarei, worked at a council again, and decided actually they're doing lots and lots of council stuff. What wow. else could I be doing? But it was cool fun. And in that time, got to do things like work on the Christchurch earthquake. So I was trained uh, in national emergency response. Is probably a good way to put it oh. back then. Um, we were trained for oil spill responses. We had um, a, a major, obviously, the New Zealand's only oil refinery. Marsden Point is based in Northland. Yeah, so yeah. used to do a lot of uh, public information emergency response for oil spills, chemical spills, um, ships that ran aground, lots of maritime disasters um, that kind of happened in Northland. And then we moved into – we also get uh, – we get a lot of tropical cyclones come into Northland. Northland is prone to flooding. Um, so again, moved into the civil defence space and doing public information around natural disasters. So did that for a few years in Northland, loved it. And then unfortunately we had uh, a spate of disasters. So obviously Christchurch earthquake was our biggest natural disaster yeah. in our lifetime anyway. Um, so we were deployed down there and I managed the public information with a team of lots of other people who helped from around the country to try and get Christchurch back on its feet um, during the earthquake response. So really changed um, my outlook on life after I working in Christchurch yeah. and decided actually I needed to uh, do something different. And I was approached to come to Hamilton. Um, who approached you? Uh a, or Hamilton City Council did. So they were going oh. through a lot of change. Um, obviously, they had decided that the V8s weren't for them. Yeah. Um, they had a new mayor. Mayor Julie Hardacre um, obviously came in. There was a new management team, and they wanted me to um, come down and join the management team. So obviously, went through a interview process, decided, actually, this city looks quite cool. I mean, it wasn't really a city I thought I would come and live in. <laughs> I used to come down here quite a bit. A lot of my friends went to uni here, as most Northlanders do. Yep. They used to, you know, have all of their 21st on the Waipa Delta and we used to party, party on Hood Street and then walk along and eat at McDonald's just before it got closed down on Claudelands, party at the Riv. So it was quite a cool city to me anyway. Uh, so to come back here later in life, um, there was just lots going on. It had great growth opportunities. Um, obviously, Hamilton Gardens was booming and it was just a city I felt was uh, on the move. So and to come here and do some change and be part of reshaping a city was something that really excited me. So... Went to Hamilton City Council. Um, worked there for five years as GM Customer Relationships. So looked after the city events. We had the Hamilton 150th birthday. Um, we got to do some pretty cool stuff. We had the River Plan. We had the CBD Transformation Plan. Um, and launch uh, some really cool customer um, 
improvements really around the customer service for council, around the digital space and loved it, really loved Hamilton. So our two-year plan of coming to Hamilton for two years has now gone into eight years. Uh, wow. Then, then after that, went to Dairy NZ, um, did some consulting around improving the public engagement mm. um, and perception of the dairy industry. It's always hard because I come originally from a farming background and for us, look, dairy is, is is a key part of what makes New Zealand New Zealand today. I agree. Um, so, look, it was a really interesting project to try, and and we had the bobby calf crisis, unfortunately, during during that as well. So, some of my crisis management skills came in handy. Um, and then I was approached to go uh, and actually do an acting role at Tourism Waikato. And uh, act, like what what a stage <laughs> t- film? <laughs> yeah, what? I wish it was a stage. <laughs> no. So um, the CEO Kerry Gilter had set up Tourism Waikato back in the day. Yeah. Um, and she had decided to leave. So they were looking for someone just to act as CEO until they recruited the permanent position. And I said, well, actually, I'd be interested in the permanent role. Mm. Um, and that's that's my story. So four years now, uh, I've been at uh, Hamilton and Waikato Tourism, and we're having a ball. Uh, it's a fantastic region, and you always think you know your region, but now I feel like I know it even more because yeah. there's always something going on. And in tourism, we really do have to know what is happening in our destination, um, that we can start to tell our stories about. Yeah. So how do you stay up with everything that's going on? Uh, I go to a lot of events, as many people see on my social media channels. Oh, I've seen uh, you at two. <laughs> I, I, you spoke at Seed Waikato. Yes. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to come talk to you afterwards, but I got held up talking to someone else. And then I saw you at uh, Grow Waikato last year. Oh, right. Great. Yeah. And I, um, I ended up having to leave early, so I didn't get to talk to you again. So <laughs> it's like, oh, man, I just need to get this guy on here. Yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool. So again... How we keep up with it is literally, if people want to market or tell anything about what's going on in our region, um, then they normally come to us, which is great. And to me, no matter whether people want to visit here, um, it's also cool because if they have a great tourism experience or they come here for the weekend or for a major event and they have a ball, they look favourably on us as a region. And Mm. so to me, it actually helps us with people who want to move here to live. It helps with people who want to invest and it helps with students that actually want to study here. Because if we always promote that there's always lots of stuff going on here, which there really is every day in Hamilton and Waikato there's something going on then it actually makes and makes our residents feel proud too so um, a yeah. lot of people reach out to us as well as, oh, well, okay. as, as well as we scout around to always find out what's going on um, obviously we work in, in a number of communities because we cover um, six districts in, in Hamilton City so it's a big region we have a quite a big region um, but again there is it's it's a region where people we're being discovered is probably a nice way of saying it I agree yeah um, and I think Hamilton particularly has had a pretty bad rap, as we all know. Oh, man, I'm from <laughs> Auckland, and when I said I wanted to move here, I got so much crap <laughs> <laughs> from a lot of people for moving here. So, um, yeah, th- I think I think that is slowly going away, though. It is slowly changing, and the change is that more people from who are not originally from Hamilton have, are living here now. Yeah. And we are saying what a great lifestyle we have. You can have a great career here. You can study at some of the world's best universities. Mm. Um, you've got some amazing training institutions. And we've got some um, big headquarters now for a lot of companies here. So good schools, great lifestyle. Look, we're flat, so it's easy to cycle around. We've got that great big honking river going down through the middle of our city. Um, and we have a great hospital scene. We have amazing events. Our arts community is thriving here. Um, we're a very diverse community. That's also what I love about it. You know, you go to some yeah. cities and you kind of, it's really hard to find other cultures. Whereas here, look, Māori is really strong as well. You know, we're the oh, home yeah. of the kingitanga. but. Yeah. Also, we have you know some 
huge refugee communities that have established and migrant communities uh, have established themselves here in Hamilton. So that just gives us a bit more of an interest factor. So there's always yeah. something, and we've always been a bit cheeky about it, which I think is cool, and we're not afraid to stand up, mm. um, which I think is something Hamilton's uh, Tonians, and particularly the wider Waikato, should be proud of. Whether it be the Springbok Tour in 81, we were prepared to you know take a stand against apartheid uh, in somewhere else around the world, whether it be sending our, our you know, originally... People um, going off for war in different wars have all come from the Waikato. They're prepared to stand up for people's rights, whether it be gender equality, whether it be our LGBTQT community, where people are prepared to, you know, stand and be proud about it. Um, and right through the climate change movements that we're actually seeing now as well, our city is not shying away from actually saying, hey, we're prepared to have a voice. Um, we are the fourth biggest city. Um, and I think, you know, I think... We, we, we need to grow a bit more and feel like actually we are quite an important city here because we, we're not classed as a regional city anymore. We're a major metro. Um, but the good thing about it is we still have the trappings of being a, a cool village where everyone kind of knows each other, everyone's prepared to help each other out. Um, and we're a very well-connected community uh, and a giving community. So I could go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's good. It's good. It makes my job easier. Um, but in terms of, so I take it you work in conjunction a lot with uh, Tourism New Zealand. Yes. So um, how it all works is Tourism New Zealand are our international marketing agency. So right. um, they own the 100% pure brand. Yeah. Um, they're actually being set up under legislation. So they're a government agency. Um, they don't play in the domestic space. So they're all about international profile and attracting international visitors from key markets here. Right. So do you focus more on the domestic side? We focus on both. both. Okay. Yes. So right. we partner with Tourism New Zealand offshore. So I wouldn't step into a, a market in China or in, or in the US without actually partnering with Tourism New Zealand. They're what I would call our gateway agency into those countries. But we also partner with airlines. We work with Air New Zealand um, quite a lot into some of the, the new routes. New York is starting in October, direct uh, Auckland to New York. So that's quite exciting for us. So again, partner with airlines, with Tourism New Zealand in our key markets uh, to promote the Waikato. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, we also work together with our neighbours. So um, when we go offshore, we don't just do it alone. Um, we partner with Rotorua, Taupo, Coromandel Bay, Plenty, Taranaki, Rupihu, uh, yeah. it's quite a big uh, group of us, Tairawhiti, Gisborne, right down to Hawke's Bay, yep. and we're called the Central North Island Alliance. So again, we club oh, nice. together. Okay, um, that's good. Because as a visitor, you don't think, oh, I must go to this district and I must visit to this town. It's more around uh, attractions. When we go travelling, we always think, well, we must go and see, them. if you go to Italy, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, I want to go to the Colosseum in Roma. Yeah. So you don't think as in districts or towns or belt or borders, yeah. you think more about the places you want to see. So for us, the central North Island has it all. We have the beautiful white sand goldy beaches of Coromandel and Bay of Plenty, um, right through to the mountains and, and the snow alpine experiences of Ruapehu and Topor. We have the lakes, we have geothermal activity, and then you come across to the Waikato, we've got the home of Hobbiton and Waitomo Caves, Hamilton Gardens, and then the wild west coast with the beautiful place of Raglan. So... Again, we've just got we've actually got a lot to offer a visitor, mm. and we're quite a strong um, visitor proposition 
uh, versus South because South has always been strong in the international market. Oh, Queenstown, yeah, totally, totally. it's all about Queenstown and the Alps. And Rotorua has been very strong for us too. Um, but they're, they're, they're transitioning. They've traditionally been the home of Māori tourism and it's still a key part of their proposition. But they also want to be the adventure capital for us because you know they've got some pretty cool things going on in Rotorua. Oh, so, yeah, they do. So clubbing together just helps when we go offshore. So did you have any part to play when Stephen Colbert came here? No, I, I, I would love to say that, that, that I did. <laughs> But um, no, that, that was definitely a Tourism New Zealand initiative. Okay, so you obviously so started with Jacinda. You would have seen that she was on the yep. Late Show um, a couple of times. Look, he was a bit of a fanboy of New Zealand, and he look he absolutely adores the Hobbit yeah, yeah. Uh, and Lord of the Rings. So again, there was some some work where Tourism New Zealand contacted uh, Russell Alexander, who's the head of Hobbiton, and said, "Hey, um, our Prime Minister is about to go onto the Late Show." Um, he absolutely is a huge Lord of the Rings and Hobbit fan. What can we do? And so mm. um, Russell organised a Hobbiton uh, citizenship certificate, um, which got sent over. So Jacinda got to present it to them. And that's how the conversation started. It was about you must come to New Zealand. Um, for us, look, using influences is really important because oh, yeah. it's far more powerful for me, even domestically or for someone internationally. If they come here and they just talk up our region and say what a great time they have, um, that is gold. Um, because, again, we, you, you could buy advertising, which isn't always right, or you can have someone come here and experience it for themselves and tell it through their eyes and in their words. And something like Stephen Cobier coming here was great for us in the North American market. Again, we work with a lot of influencers um, and we have some pretty quirky campaigns. I don't know if people remember Get New Zealand on the Map. Um, again, yes, that, that yes. was another Tourism New Zealand initiative. You know, new CEO, Stephen England Hall, sitting in, I don't know where he was, Starbucks somewhere, looked at this world map and went, wait a minute, New Zealand's not on there. Now, Stephen's worked uh, overseas for many years and he'd actually started to look at a lot of the maps that he had accumulated and went, New Zealand doesn't even feature a lot of these maps. So it started this bit of a viral campaign. Obviously, Reese Darby came on board, so mm. did Jacinda. Again, they will have their time free to have a bit of a poke, a poke the bear and have a bit of fun with the world to say, hey, Kiwis, um, if you see a map that doesn't have New Zealand, snap a shot and send it to us. So it was right through the United Nations in New York. The headquarters has this like blob, which doesn't really look like New Zealand attached to Australia. So again, there, yeah. there, there were global maps. So I think for us, anything that we can try and create some sort of... Uh, interest around who we are as a country and it doesn't have to always be about tourism because for us as a country you know we say we're at the bottom of the world you know we, we're, we're a bit of an incubation nation and we want to punch above our weight and we do have some world-class stuff but I think sometimes as Kiwis we just need to realize we are still a minnow in this big giant place called the world um, oh, so totally. to create any sort of interest factor uh, is always good and look and tourism does have an opportunity to do that. But did they did did um, tourism uh 100% well tourism New Zealand did they contact you at all and tell you their plan or did you just was it hearsay that you found about no about so later? so we did know it was happening we okay. um, we get a lot of visits here all the time we have to always sign what we call NDAs non-disclosure agreements right. which is always hard because people are always probing and saying hey is there a chance you know can, can you I seem see like the type of person that wouldn't want to keep a secret either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty hard but but look we, we do respect NDAs yeah. um, for us because there is some commercial sensitivity and the other times are particularly for what we call high profile celebrities or VIPs if people knew where they were then unfortunately it does put their, themselves 
themselves at risk. We yeah. do get a lot of real fanatics um, that actually follow these people. So even for us, look, we, we weren't part of his visit at all. It was very much um, he was there during, I think, a normal normal standard Hobbiton day. Most people would not have known. Um, and he did his little film skit there and loved it. Um, and then obviously he went on to visit other parts of our country. Oh, it's a brilliant piece. It I is mean, a brilliant you, piece. Oh, yeah. I mean, the amount of money that was spent on that was well worth it, I feel. Do you get um, statistics and like numbers of who's traveling into the country and tourism spots and yeah we do so obviously we get around 3.8 million international visitors coming into the country Um, so that's our international arrivals as we know with things like coronavirus um, we've had the Fakati White Island tragedy and also the terror attack in Christchurch we have seen obviously a lot of softening in some of our visitor arrivals Mm. it was probably going to happen anyway Um, I think we're seeing a lot of countries going into recession you know the UK is going through Brexit the US market, unfortunately, is quite unsettled going into presidential elections again. So what we will see anyway is naturally our international arrivals will drop because travel is, is especially travel to New Zealand, is a bit of a bucket list destination for a lot of people. We are at the bottom of the world. So for them, um, it is flying from, you know, as we all know that we've done it before, we go up to Europe or into the US, we're spending 12 to 14 hours going to the US and then potentially another flight. Um, and it's, you know, 24 hours to get up to UK and Europe. So, yeah, yeah. so for most of those visitors coming to us it is seen as like a once in a lifetime opportunity to come to our country um, so what we what we have seen is there's definitely a softening in stats but but for us as a region look we're still strong we're still one of the number one sectors here in, in the Waikato we're bringing in 1.558 billion into the region which is fantastic um, but domestic is our big driver domestic bring in 1.2 billion into our region oh really um, I didn't realize it was that much no it's huge um, so 75 percent of our market is domestic so what what is um the biggest tourist attraction within the Waikato? Uh, well, we have three that I would say are our biggest. Yeah. Uh, Hamilton Gardens is the number one for the city. You know, okay. They're bringing in around a million visitors a year. A lot of it is us. You know, We return as locals. We might go to Gourmet in the Gardens. I was there last night for Hamilton Gardens Arts Festival. So oh, locals. Recently, yeah, yeah, for the Surrealist Garden. Oh, the Surrealist Garden, of course. Yeah. That is fantastic. So yeah. again, um, we, we have a lot, of, a lot of those visit accounts. We have a lot of repeats, but we do get a lot of international visitors and domestic visitors coming here. Um, and then number two, and three um, again they're not in any order they're just our top three uh, Hobbiton obviously Hobbiton movie set there was research done probably about six years ago that said I think one in six news, uh, international travellers that arrive here or one in eight um, they are, they have chosen to come to New Zealand based on Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit and they want to do one of their experiences whether it be going to mm. winter workshops in Wellington but traditionally everyone wants to go to the home which is Hobbiton movie set in Matamata and then we have Waitomo uh, Waitomo caves obviously the glowworm caves that are Kuri with the limestone caves um, and, and Aranui and all the other cave experiences there are a huge visitor draw for us as well um, because again it's one of the few places and probably the only place in, the, in New Zealand anyway to see glowworms um, un- underground um, as well as in the world. It's quite mm. rare but plenty of limestone caves experiences, plenty of blackwater rafting experiences but yep. the glowworms are really our unique proposition and it's probably our oldest tourism operation been going for around 100, 120 to 150 years now they've been hosting people in the caves um, obviously not as slick as you see it today um, <laughs> to go down and see the glowworms potentially would take people nearly a whole day yeah um, and they'd have to travel and stay at the Waitomo Hotel so again very different experience to what we see today those three tourist attractions are in completely different locations from each other so do you work with the regional council in terms of like 
bus transportation and how to get people around to these different places? Do people do, well, do people mostly travel by via bus or, is, or do they hire cars? Mm, so what we have is definitely some of our attractions um, traditionally have been what we call group travel, which use coach. So there, there are a lot of bus tours, Stray, yeah. Kiwi Experience, APT, Pacific Tourways. There's lots of big companies coming into our region every day. Uh, coach travel is probably a, still a big significant part of our market, mm. but we've definitely seen a shift into what we call FIT, friend independence. These people hiring cars or camper vans, they're staying longer in our region, um, they're staying, they're spending more, and that's actually a growing market for us. Always has been. So New Zealanders are what we call FITs because they don't normally come on a coach tour to go to Waitomo, they'll drive there. Um, so again, 75% of our market here is domestic, so a big drive market. But then we do have still the coach travel. Um, but again, we are seeing a, a change. With regards to your question about working with the regional council, obviously we work with a lot of agencies. New Zealand uh, NZTA, the New Zealand Transport Agency, are quite a key one for us. They run the state highway network, um, all of our attractions are pretty much near or right beside a state highway. Um, so again, good road access is always important. Uh, public transport is hard, um, particularly if you want to go across our region. Look, we have a good bus transport network that goes from our towns that comes into Hamilton Transport Centre and obviously is our hub, then you jump on another bus to go somewhere else, but we don't have anything that goes across the region. So you can't go from Waitomo to Matamata, you can't go from Tikwiti uh, up to Coromandel, you pretty much have to all come through Hamilton to transfer to a different service. So again, that's the that, um, those bus services are provided for our locals, for mm. our residents. For, 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 for tourism and visitors, we have lot, we, you know, we're working with lots of other different companies to offer different sorts of transport options. So. Would you like to see like some type of rail network in the future? I would love. Well, look, we're excited. We've got rail coming to Hamilton. So yeah, yeah. hats off to the Regional uh, Land Transport Committee, Waikato Regional Council, yeah. Hamilton City, who have all backed it. Um, it would have been a mission to get that off the ground, I'd imagine, with all the different parties involved. Yeah, absolutely. I think they've done a great job. Look, yeah. I mean, It's definitely going to launch with, in June, it'll be a commuter service. Yeah. Um, so again, commuters are great. We do have a lot of people who live in Hamilton who work in Auckland and vice versa, people who live in South Auckland who work here. So I think the commuter service will work. My dream is that we have midday services. Um, and off-peak is going to be big for us because leisure will drive that. And look, we've seen that, you know, we talked a little bit at the beginning about Hamilton Airport. Hamilton Airport has traditionally been a business airport. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about this in terms of whether international flights would ever come back to Hamilton. Uh, so it's still an international port. I think people are, are probably a little bit surprised. They think because we don't have international airlines with scheduled services coming into Hamilton. That but we actually, did, though, at one point. We did. That's yes. right. We had Pacific Blue. Um, we had Freedom Air. Um, and also there, there has been some, some – there was Virgin, I think, came in for a while yeah, as well. Yeah. So. So look, Hamilton uh, and Palmerston North uh, were both international ports that were running what we call the budget airlines um, that would cross the Tasman, do those cheap, you know, 399 or 599 flights to the Gold Coast. Um, worked really, really well, but obviously conditions changed and it's really competitive crossing the Tasman. Um, so the big airlines, Qantas obviously, and definitely Air New Zealand, um, took a, a bit of an exception to all these cheap airlines running cheap airfares across the Tasman and decided to take um, them head on by creating their own budget airline, which is where you saw um, the demise pretty much of what, of what we see today of our budget airlines across the Tasman. However, um, conditions may change. Look, I think as a traveller, even though we would love to grab a deal, uh, it also has to be appealing for the Australian market to come to Hamilton as well if we're to bring back international, especially across the Tasman, which I think they will. But 
the way we our travel patterns are changing, it is uh, the Tasman, and luckily some far more better educated people on the aviation industry than me, <laughs> but um, we always say uh, in the industry that it is one of the most competitive airline routes uh, in the world, is actually across the Tasman. Uh, the other one is across the English Channel. They, we, have the, we have a saturation of airlines that they fly over it, um, and with that means that it's really hard to actually, based on margins and, and, and seats, uh, to actually fill those flights all the time, because we have such a choice. Um, it used to be bigger when we had Emirates, so um, that was a good example where oh, we okay. had um, three A380s, which were the big double-decker planes flying across the Tasman every day, um, and they would literally undercut because they needed to fill those big planes. Um, but now Emirates don't. Emirates actually fly direct. Um, so again, most passengers are, are changing market demand. We are prepared to sit on a plane, as we'll soon see with the New York route, for up to 16 hours to get to our destination without any transiting. Uh, so I think market dem- is demanding that we actually prefer long-haul flights. We want to get quicker to our destinations rather than spend longer in transit or doing short hops. And so for us, and the reason why I'm talking about this is because if the market demands long-haul travel, then potentially that may be the future for Hamilton. Um, and it might be that we might end up again with budget airlines. That would be great. Uh, we're actually you know, anywhere south of pretty much the Harbour Bridge. People will be prepared to travel. We'll have an expressway um, as of next year, end of 2021. That'll be four lane between Auckland and, and Hamilton. Um, so that way people can actually travel quicker south jump on a flight out of Hamilton Airport um, and potentially end, wake up in Beijing or Singapore. So so it could be on the cards. It'll, it'll, it could be. I'm not saying it is. It is, yeah. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just looking at the market and future travel trends. And mm. I think New Zealanders, um, most of the world are already getting used to travelling, you know, 12 plus hours on a plane without stopping. Kiwis, um, we've always done the 12 plus and then we'll, we would, you know, do a hop somewhere in between if we're carrying on to Europe. Um, but I think with the fuel efficiency of airlines, um, with the speed of technology and, and how they're actually improving the aviation industry, people are prepared to travel further longer. Um, and I think that could be, I'm not saying it would be, but it, it could be the future for Hamilton. Because I'd, I'd imagine that like it would take the pressure off Auckland Airport to an extent because, you know, Auckland has a lot of congestion. I it mean, does have a lot of congestion. Yes, yeah, and you don't even have a rail network that goes from here or anywhere that really that goes to the airport. No. Um so, I mean, I see it on Facebook all the time with people commenting saying, oh, when are we getting international flights or, or anything like that? Because I think the even with domestic flights, I think we really only go to Palmerston, North Wellington and Christchurch. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So they are our three fly markets. Um, they do have high loads, Queenstown though. on the cards? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, that's completely up to you, New Zealand. They are our only national airline that are flying into Hamilton Monopoly. right now. Hmm. Uh, so <laughs> look, for them, I think, um, look, I really think that the, the, the hub, the hop and stop, I call it. So at the moment, a lot of our Wellington flights stop in Palmerston North for 20 minutes. You sit on the tarmac if you're carrying on to Wellington, people are getting off for Palmy, get off, the Wellingtonian traffic jump on, and then literally we carry on to Wellington. Mm. Um, So I think, look, a hubs, a hub, a hop and stop type thing for Hamilton would be good. I think that could be the future for regional flights. So literally you could jump on in Auckland, which is one of our biggest gripes right now as a business community. We want to be able to board or check in at Hamilton Airport to be able to fly even across the Tasman or, or anywhere internationally, but we have to drive to Auckland to get an international flight. So I think not I only... Hate it. it. Yeah, it be, <laughs> all of us are over that drive. Yeah, um, yeah. And sorry, team, um, what's going to happen is, uh, unfortunately, NZTA, once they've finished the, the six-laning um, all the way down to Papakura, the next six-laning project starts, which is they reckon will take a lot longer, and that'll take 
like the six lanes through to south of Drury to the boss to the base of the Bombay. So we thought we were over the roadworks on that motorway. More is coming. Oh no! So um, again, it just drives the need for us to want to use rail because look, I would rather sit on the train for two hours, two hours plus even to get into Britomart. Um, with a train, you can still obviously carry on working, you can sleep, you can read your book. Um, you don't have to be as concentrated on, on driving or stopping and starting in congestion for pretty much two hours. So I think that's going to be a, a huge change and shift. Um, but look, flights, I think, you know, people, New Zealanders are flying more. That's why Air New Zealand and that's why Jetstar originally we're, we're in our regions as well, um, because more and more Kiwis are deciding to fly uh, and it is more affordable. And I think. Well, it, yeah, and because we don't have a really. Uh lucrative or uh, a rail network of any kind really i mean you've only limited really to auckland and wellington like the major cities that's right so we're uh you know a car reliable type of country we're definitely car reliant yeah Um, like i mean if you go overseas public transport is in a completely different league to here it is yeah and a lot of that's been driven by population you know look we have always been a small country but if you look back to our history we've had a great rail network you know my my dad used to work for New Zealand Railways Corporation used to be called when it became incorporated Um, originally it was a government agency and we used to travel the country by rail Uh, we had regional networks that went through up to Whangarei they went through to Tauranga they went to Gisborne they went to Rotorua uh, and even in the South Island we used to have the southerner that used to go pretty much from Christchurch uh, and Dunedin down to Invercargill. Um, mm. So we now have what we call scenic rail journeys, the Transalpine, um, the Northern Explorer, which does the North Island, but um, and the Coastal Pacific. But the, the goal is, and what we're starting to see, is that hopefully we bring back a rail network. The population is growing. Um, people are wanting to travel by rail. And again, it's not just going to be New Zealanders travelling by rail. Our visitors are demanding um, to travel by rail. And it's a far more sustainable travel option than having 55 cars driving down a motorway by yeah. getting you know all of them onto onto rail it just it, it's a far more sustainable with regards to a freight movement and also definitely for passenger movement so well i think one of the things as well is particularly with the upper north island you've got a lot of the cities and towns within close proximity with each other like if you think of australia all the cities and everything are quite isolated right they're so very spread out yeah Absolutely. yeah so i mean just that you know, Golden Triangle is about 50% of the population. Correct. It? So yeah. up in North Island, yes, we do hold 50% of the population. It is the place people want to live. Yeah. Um, it's where the work is. It's where our two major ports are. It's where our major international airport. So it's a desirable region to be in right now. And I think, so for us, look, we do have enough population to at least provide better connectivity between our three main centres. Um, people always go on that, you know, Hamilton become the suburb of Auckland. Um, we will just always be uh, the second city. Um, yeah, I think yeah. there there is enough space and place for us to actually still have a place in the world. We don't want to be just a boob of Auckland. Uh, we are a city still steeped in tradition and in our core sectors. So I think it's, yeah, it's great. Do you think that the inland port that Tainui are working on will play a major effect on possibly you know, bringing rail here, like say to the airport, or possibly have a part in more flights coming here? Do you think that could play a part? I mean, there's supposed to be like 10,000 jobs or something created. Yeah, that's right. Um, Look, I think, I mean, obviously you'll be talking soon to Tainui, which is great to hear a bit more about the Rukura Inland Port. 
Um, look, definitely freight makes makes a very big part of any sort of transport connectivity, whether mm. it be a flight or whether it be rail. So again, it needs to be an even split because you actually make more money out of freight. So getting more freight movement or cargo uh, transiting and tra- being being processed here in the Waikato and then obviously being moved around the country by rail um, and definitely by, by air is, is a desirable position. And that will happen because again, we're definitely seeing that with um, Northgate, which is obviously the Auckland port, ports of Auckland inland port development with main freight being out there, porters um, and, and Fonterra obviously they have their own rail siding because they know that actually people want to move their freight. Um, so again we process and take all the containers um, of goods from both ports whether it be Auckland um, in the north uh, and for ports of Tauranga and Ruakura they get processed here um, and then literally they get shipped to the market whether it be through rail or whether it be through through, through planes but at the end of the day um, we will become what I would call a logistics hub. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that going to be the, the, natural the, overall, the yeah. overall goal for us as a region. And I think we're naturally there because of the ge- geography. We are between ports of Auckland and ports of Tauranga. So it's a, we're in a great position anyway. So I think that's, that's naturally going to see the demand for the ports to grow. I think one of the best things about Hamilton, I know some people don't like this, but it's it's quite central to a lot of places. It it's, is. But people are like, what? That's a terrible thing to say because you're telling people that you know, it's good to leave because you can go to all these That's places. right. People used to always say that to me too when I moved here. But I think for us, I mean, again, once you live here, you know, but we come home. So it means that it's actually central for us to go to Rotorua or to go to Mount Maunganui or shoot out to Raglan or go to Auckland. Yeah. But, you know, we've got, I always say, even though sometimes we, if we want to go and see a big concert in Auckland, great. Well, we get to drive up and then we get to drive home. So we get to not, not have to pay the exorbitant fees of staying in Auckland or living in Auckland. We get to come back to our hometown. And I think that's that just makes it a far more pleasant experience for us for lots of events and uh, and it also we get we just see the best of those cities without having to live in them. So that's a yeah, nice way of putting yep, it. I agree. I agree. I want to go back to the Hamilton Gardens just for a bit. Yeah. Um, are you for um, a fee being charged to go there? Um, look, we were really clear because council did propose to obviously put a, a charge um, for the entry into the enclosed gardens, which are all um, the main tourism attractions. Yeah. Look, we were really clear. Great to include a charge. I think um, if you look at other destinations around the world, and for those Hamiltonians who do travel, we do realise we have a one in the one one of a kind unique world-class destination. No other country in the world has anything like Hamilton Garden. So it is really special. Um, I think if we do put a charge on it, I've always said we need to create more activity in there. There needs to be some, some added value. But again, a charge could generate revenue to create more activity. So when you go into the Italian garden, maybe there is always an opera singer in there or um, maybe they're serving gelato in summer. So again, add value mm. to the visitor experience because otherwise by putting a charge on what we have now pretty much is like putting a charge on an empty theatre. Um, the gardens are a theatre platform and so you wouldn't normally go pay a, pay a ticket to go into a theatre and just look at an empty stage. So to me, it's a beautiful stage and platform but you can, we could really extract some great value by putting in some amazing experiences, you know, regular tours that go in there in different languages, maybe a um, a food tour that goes through the gardens where you experience stuff. People would pay really good money to actually have that extra bit of added value. Um, yeah. And interpretation's key, you know, even just general tours. They do offer tours there, they are set times, um, but again, if everyone paid, they would actually attend the tour because you feel like, well, I need to know about these gardens. So you do see people walking through the gardens just looking lost. Um, again, wh- wh- what it's does this big. mean? 
It is really big. <laughs> but so again, to have, you know, um, a charge would allow us to actually what I call extract higher value customers in there. And also people would pay for those experiences. You could have lots of added value experiences there. And you can invest back into the gardens pretty much. That would be the goal is literally we could close the loop. So as you can see, you've talked the gardens are getting big. Um, you know, Dr. Peter Sugal has had an amazing, amazing vision um, yeah. for those gardens. And he has delivered an exceptional gift to the city. And we've had a lot of philanthropy and the friends of the gardens have all helped grow those gardens through sponsorship and funding but we would really need to uh, invest a lot now in maintenance um, we still want it to look like a world-class garden and you know we want to have enough staff to be able to, to keep, keep that place humming and buzzing and looking in pristine conditions so again a charge would definitely help fund um, okay. the maintenance which would be great I think Paul is coming on here again at some point so I might have to ask you great yeah yeah um, the other thing I wanted to ask is in regards to to Hobbiton because um, there's, there's I know with some of my Auckland friends um, they feel that Hobbiton is too expensive but um, something occurred to me that I would imagine it would be quite costly to maintain that place and is there a fee that they have to pay to Warner Brothers for the licensing? Yeah and I'd imagine it would be a hefty fee too for just the... Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's what people forget. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. You've actually answered my question. I think it's not it's not just a Hobbiton thing or an Auckland thing. It's actually a New Zealand thing. We're, we're, we're a nation that's traditionally been built on getting a good deal. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And so any sort of charge for Kiwis, everyone just gets their back up. And I feel for Hobbiton because, look, it's probably, I think it's sitting around $80 now for for, 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 a, for a Hobbiton tour experience. Yeah, I think I, I went in October. That was the first time I went. And I think I, um, yeah, it was $80 or $100. I can't remember what I did. But um, my partner, um, she's not into Lord of the Rings or anything, doesn't know anything about it. But she came along and she really enjoyed it, which says a lot you know, you don't have to no, like Lord right. of the Rings no. or anything to enjoy it. Absolutely. And that's what people don't realise about Holden, Kiwis particularly, um, because most of international visitors just go there because they want to go there. Um, they've heard so much about it. They know it. It's an amazing experience. Some of them are definitely what I would call Lord of the Rings fanatics. You oh, know, yeah, the, there are they some. know the words, the lines, they will pull up the tour guides, but it's great to have those people mixed in with those that potentially do not know it um, or any of Tolkien's stories um, back to back. So I think the great thing about Hobbiton is and I always say that to people is just go and experience it. a bit like the gardens you know you say the word Hamilton Gardens and everyone always goes oh my god I want to see a botanic garden it's like it's more than a botanic garden yeah. it's, it's around the world in 180 minutes and they're going what do you mean and it's like wow it's got a bit of India and a bit of a bit, bit of Italian renaissance it's got these real gardens where you walk in and you feel like you're in the middle of Italy um, and people just go oh okay that sounds really interesting and now we have the surrealist garden so you can say things like we have plants that move that are five times the size yeah. and people are like wow that's Sounds intriguing and curious. So, and even the Egyptian garden. That's like oh, we works. can't wait for the Egyptian yeah, garden. Yeah, that looks choice. It looks very cool. Yeah. I think you know we love the surrealist because it's new and we've yeah. been watching it grow. Literally, the ivy grow over those tronites. So I think now to have it open has just got us all really excited because it's a garden we're proud of. Um, the big giant door is definitely going to be the most Instagrammed photo. I think, I think I've, I've already seen it. seen it on Instagram. I've seen it so many times. Oh, yeah. But hey, good on them. It's great because we've always had the Hobbiton door, the round door, and I yeah, think yeah, yeah. this is just our second door into the region. Mm. But 
but yeah, back to the question. Look, look Kiwis just just kind of you know we kind of gripe a bit if we have to pay money to go to anything. We like to do free things. Um, however, if when we travel internationally, we are prepared to pay to queue to go and climb up the Arc de Triomphe or or to queue to go and inside um, Tower of London and do go to all these world class experiences. But if we do it in our own backyard, it's like yeah, nah. Um, but again, we, it's changing because Kiwis are saying, well, actually, I've done this overseas. I need to explore my own backyard. Well, as someone who's from Auckland. And I find uh, this is a, well, I don't know if it's fully an Auckland thing, but I know a lot of Aucklanders, um, well, within my circle, they prefer to go overseas than um, stay at home. Yeah, and, and do any touristy things um, in their own country. I mean, I know some Aucklanders that never even left Auckland. So, you know, um, I highly encourage people to check out your own country. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, look, it's, it's always hard for New Zealand. Um, look, it's changed a lot. But, you know, in the old days, which is probably just, you know, literally my lifetime, what I would say it was, it was, as we've always seen, it was cheaper for us to fly somewhere else, especially across the ditch or to the Pacific, than it was to fly down to Invercargill or Queenstown. Mm. Mm. So... Flights have changed. Um, pricing has changed a lot. You know, it's a lot more of a competitive market, uh, and people can look now and think actually it isn't that that more expensive to get to Christchurch. I can fly uh, to the west coast now or to Blenheim. So I think for for North Islanders, it's made the South Island a lot more easier to get to. Um, and the same for South. Look, I think Aucklanders, are, they still drive here. They love coming here. They might not want to say they've had a holiday in Waikato, but as soon as they cross <laughs> the Bombay Hills, you're in our hands. Well, a lot of Aucklanders are moving here anyway. So, Well, that's right. And, that's yeah. what, and so again, visiting friends and family, a huge part of our market. People yeah. love to come here. They come for birthdays. They come to catch up with friends and family, and they stay with us. So they might not be staying at the Novotel or the Distinction, but they're definitely coming to the city. We're taking them out. They're spending money at Mr. Pickles. They're having a great time at Barn Me. They're drinking cocktails at Wonder Horse at night. They're coming to see an event like the Sevens. Um, so they're actually spending in our region. And again, it doesn't matter whether um, they're not staying in our hotels. If we can offer a great visitor experience as well and showcase the place we've chosen to live, then that builds pride as well. And they think, wow, this is pretty cool because Reese says Hamilton's cool. And now I've been there and he's right. It's actually pretty cool. Vanessa wants me to do that ambassador program. Fantastic. <laughs> should I do it? You should do the ambassador program. So can, can you elaborate a little bit on what? it is because she, sure. she did cover it um, so it's some type of promotional thing for the Waikato isn't it? Yeah Waikato. so we, ha- uh, we have a visitor strategy that obviously um, is around lifting the value of tourism so it's a lift the value of tourism it's not just around people making money um, and getting more visitors here mm. um, we have a big grow our local pride part um, again this is part of the discussion right now is people want to know a little bit about their region and once they go and explore our region like you have with Hobbiton you become our raving fan of what's going to our own back Backyard. So for us, we have a lot of initiatives. One is the ambassador program. So um, we first we've launched it with with Hamilton Central Business and the City Council, and we're focusing on Hamilton first. It's a three-hour training course, we're calling it. It's an interactive workshop. I'm actually your facilitator, so you'll get to hear me again, unfortunately, but it is pretty cool, <laughs> if I do say so myself. Um, and we spend three hours talking about the history of Hamilton. Sounds really boring, but we start with history, the first the first settlers here, um, Ngāti Wairere, the original hapu that, that were here that settled on the banks. We learn about 
um, what does Kitty Kitty Door mean? Because Kitty Kitty Door is actually the natural Māori name for Hamilton. Um, we learn about where the name Hamilton came from. We learn about our initial pioneers that actually shaped our city right through to today. Um, we start to know about what are the cool foodie hotspots in the city. Um, where should you know? It's it's about to giving you the skills that if someone stops you on the street or for for most of our frontliners, whether they be housekeeping in a hotel through to a barista at a coffee shop, if someone is a visitor and they go, what is there to do here? or where do I get good coffee, or how do I get to Waitomo, I don't have a car, you should be able to actually talk with pride about some of the cool things. And then at the end, they're like, wow, that's really cool. Mm. Um, So it actually, people learn stuff. That's what I love about the Ambassador Program. People who have grown up here their whole lives, right through to the people who are new here, you learn something different about our city. Um, And look, and we, we tell stories. We tell stories about the characters that helped shape our city. So even though Wellingtonians always love to say we are the home of coffee, um, I'm sorry, it was Hamilton. Uh, and so here's just a little snippet, you know. Bob Harris had a little delicatessen um, just off Garden Place. He was the first New Zealander to actually take coffee beans, which he actually imported, picked them up at Hamilton Airport, bring them back to his store, and he would roast them. He would roast them, make blends, and then he would package them and actually sell them around New Zealand. Um and that is what we have is Robert Harris today. Um, and so they took the name Robert Harris Cafe from Bob. Bob was um, New Zealand's first coffee roaster and blender. So we are actually technically the home of coffee. Um, I didn't know that. And we learn lots of cool stories like that about all these people that have been here as well. Um, so I suppose it's good for the CV as well. Yeah, it's definitely good for the CV. And if you want to get a job in tourism, then it helps, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And we're getting lots of people that aren't in tourism. It doesn't have to be tourism facing. You know, we get retail, hospitality, waiters are coming along, um, front of house, parking wardens, uh, city safe staff, librarians, um, people that are just really interested. People are definitely in the tourism industry, you know, but again, it's the whole lot. It's not just front of house staff. We're getting housekeeping staff coming along. And the reason why I always say housekeeping staff are gold is because if you're checking out of a room or a hotel, the first person or the last person you normally see when you leave a hotel is housekeeping. Yes. You're normally walking out there in the hallway, they say good morning um, and actually you're interacting. You might ask them, oh actually, you know, where can I go quickly to park my car? Where can I do this? And So you don't normally go to concierge or you don't normally go to the front house uh, front of house for somewhere. It's normally just the people on the street or the people that you first bump into that you ask them questions. Ah, interesting stuff. You said something at one of the Grow Waikato events, which I found very interesting. Um, so you mentioned that one of the things that Hamilton needs to work on is its nighttime economy. And, and what do you mean exactly by that? So we have a lot of things you can do through the day. So if you're a visitor here, look, we are, we're chock-a-block with stuff. You know, today, let's just look at today, we've got Hamilton Gardens Arts Festival on. There's a number of events going on. You can visit the Hamilton Gardens. You could do Waitomo Caves, Hobbiton, Sanctuary Mountain, go and have high tea at Zeelong Tea Estate. Um, you could go to the Waikato Museum. You could go to Hamilton Zoo and, you know, play with a lima and feed them. There's so much cool stuff to do during the day that your, your day is full. But then nighttime comes and we don't, a lot of our tourism activities shut down. They're closed at night. Um, so to me, nighttime economy is not just around going out and having a great meal. That's definitely big for us. And we definitely have a big hospitality scene. So F&B, food and beverage and hospitality is a big part of our nighttime economy. Um, but we don't have anything 
else. You can kind of go to theatres. So some of our theatres are great. There's always a, a night show on or a play. Um, but outside of that, everything else is shut. So, you know, it would be mm. great to have something that people actually can do at night. We do have, you know, seasonal. We can go and, you can go bat watching um, with Waikato Museum and go see some of the natural bats that we actually have, native bats in, in Hamilton. You can go and explore gullies. You could do lots of stuff. You could have the gardens tours at night. Imagine going to the Surrealist Garden um, in the dark while it, when it's all uplit and the Tronites covered in fairy lights. I don't know. Nighttime economies are things that actually we, we have as much success and spend happening during the during the night as we would during the day right and it's okay. not just around hospitality it's so around do you experiences. do you talk to the council a bit in regards to this yes we do yeah um, we work really closely so so councils fund us as well as the industry so yeah. we're a public private funded organization but we definitely work with councils quite a lot um, and people like Hamilton central business so you know Vanessa obviously has, has moved into what we call CBD events mm. You know, we have uh, these outdoor movies. We've got outdoor cinema coming into Seton Park. Yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah. So there's heaps of cool nighttime activities that we're actually working with our associations, um, our operators, you know, Sky City, Novotel, they always want to do some night stuff as well. Feast Waikato, um, which is part of Waikato Food Inc., is about creating more nighttime food events um, during dur- during the Fest, Waikato Festival. So to me, there's lots of people out there doing good stuff. Um, it'll just be good to have that year round. Yeah, because I find Hamilton... Uh CBD at night, and this is like eleven o'clock at night, where all the people are going clubbing and partying. The younger generation, yes, the younger yes. generation. I don't fall into that category anymore. <laughs> um, but it's it's a bit quiet by comparison. One of the things I did find funny is when Vanessa was on, she said, "Ah, oh, because you know how people say the Hamilton CBD is dead." She's like, "Ah," oh. she said that some sometimes people say, "Ah, oh, the CBD's dead," but I couldn't find a park. Yeah, and that's she's right. Like, well, which one is it? Like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so pretty much our CBD is not dead. And so whether it be day or night, and that is the great thing about it. You try and get a table at Barn Me or Mr Pickles any night of the week, and unless you've booked, you're pretty much out of luck, um, unless you're prepared to wait for an hour or so. So again, it's not just parking, it's our hospitality pl- places are humming. Um, and again, it's locals going out, but we also have a big business traveller market. Mm. So we work a lot on the conference market too, conference and conventions. We're the fourth largest region for conventions. So that I find could that be very a, interesting, yeah. So that could be board meetings of six people through to conferences of two and a half thousand. So And I, I've heard that um, we have to... Uh what is it? Um, we have to turn some people away because we don't have enough hotel space. Absolutely. So we're losing conferences um, and large ones because, again, um, you would have seen about the New Zealand International Convention Centre fire in Auckland. Absolutely mm. Devastating, devastating for us as a country um, it was going to be our first large international scale and when if we say international it means these are conferences and conventions that would never have come to New Zealand before yeah. because we don't have the facilities to host Auckland will have all of the hotel accommodation sorted which is great but unfortunately we've lost the convention centre so there were a couple of conventions uh, international ones that looked at Hamilton Claudelands can deliver it so venue tick the convention centre's got the scale it's got the size it's got an exceptional staff to deliver we have great catering there we have great access to the city. Unfortunately, what fails is a lot of the conventions want all of their delegates to stay in the same hotel. Um, so again, Novotel and Ibis are our largest uh, city hotel. Um, how many, how many people can they hold? So they're about to go up. I cannot remember off the top of my head. They're about to open 40 new rooms, but it's look, it's over 300. Um, so it's still quite significant. I think it might go up to 400. I, I don't quote me on that, but um, they are increasing in size, which yeah. is great. Yeah. But then outside of that, we've got a lot of smaller hotels that probably have you know 30 to 65 rooms looks all good but people really want another hotel um, that's what the convention market's asking for the event market 
Lord's asking for that. You know, for many of you who potentially may have had visitors um, who all of a sudden ended up on your couch uh, during the sevens, during cricket, um, it's because our city was full, our hotels were full. We had back-to-back events and all our hotels were, were pretty much busy as well as the motel sector. So what we do need is definitely, uh, I would love two new hotels, but look, I will take one. One would still be a game-changer for us. Because I think um, Tainui want to build another hotel. Ooh, well, you can find out more about that. Yeah, that, yeah, I, I, well, I did read it somewhere, so don't quote me on that. But um, I, I'll ask Chris when when he comes on. But no, yeah. that's great. And look, in Tainui and the city council invested in establishing our our first hotels in oh, the yeah. city. Um, so I think for them, look, once conditions are right and the numbers are there for them, for and for any operator. Um, then pretty much it'll be the first mover now. So whoever will, will develop the first new big large, large scale quality CBD hotel. So with these big um, conventions or you know uh, people that come here usually for business, what are the average numbers usually? Do you know? Average numbers of the size of, or? The, of the people coming here. Uh, so is, it varies. Again, you know, Claudelands um, particularly is our main city venue. Mystery Creek is another big uh, conference venue for us in the region, right through to places like the Velodrome Distinction Hotel if you want residential. But look, the average size, Claudelands is probably busy year round. Um, I know people sometimes have talked about, oh, Claudelands is just the white elephant, it sits there empty. It might, uh, people kind of, you know, again, a bit like you're not prepared to pay. People kind of judge success of an event centre or an arena based on oh we must have Adele and Elton John and uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers people expect that we must always fill it with commercial acts or concerts to make it a successful convention centre but what makes the money uh, and what actually keeps keeps that place humming year round is meetings and conventions exhibitions, trade shows um, I would say um, I don't think the public are aware of that though. No this and you don't see it because it's inside the convention centre. Um, well there's this big debate over the Claudine's event centre should we keep it should we sell it you know and councillors and all that argue over it so I find that interesting it's, it's a valid point that you yeah. make actually look conventions are a big part of our city um, and again any day of the week, I would say their place is full. Whether it be the arena, we're setting up for you know a 600-seated uh, awards dinner, um, Hefe rooms, which are the biggest conference rooms there. They're pretty much full all the time with conferences. Look, we had a, we we host a number of convention buyers that are in the city. We had um, a team of eight this week um, that were here for two days. They are looking at bringing a conference of 800 people next year into the city. Most people wouldn't even know it happens until it impacts them, which will be traffic around Claudelands if they're driving. Um, The buses that'll be shuttling people between the hotels, hotels will be full, and then you can't even get in potentially to Gothenburg because a lot of the um, people are actually out and about. They'll come pre and post a conference, they'll stay on, and they love to shop. Um, So again, our business travellers are keeping our CBD and our city pumping as well, which is great. So it's it's more than just the the backpackers or the leisure travellers. So how do okay? So this is this is something just just occurred to me. If we do not have a sp- enough space in terms of hotel space for say business people, how do we cope then when we have something like field days on? So the the region is full. Um, Airbnbs, re- okay. Airbnbs, Airbnbs, busing. You know, one of the big corporates. Um, uh, farming corporates actually is busing people their staff every day over from Tauranga because we don't have oh, wow. the accommodation okay. stock. Um, pretty much everything is full everything's pre-booked um, and I always find it hard because some poor travellers who have no idea what field days are you know, rock into our city, go to the eyesight and go hey I can't get accommodation, can you help me? Uh, 99.9% of the time um, that a wonderful eyesight 
staff will find them accommodation somewhere yeah. um, because they're normally some of the businesses or B&Bs that aren't listed, um, whether it be online, they will find them accommodation, which is great. So they're really helpful like that. Um, but look, our, our region is pretty full during field days. It's chock-a-block. Um, but again, on the flip side, we're really lucky. Um, every other part of New Zealand is looking at us going, I wish we had field days. It's smack bang in the middle of winter. When normally we have no visitors here, uh, it goes for over a week. Um, people are here, exhibitors and sales staff are setting up, and then we also have pack down. And then we get huge international businesses coming here from around the world coming to do business at field days. So, yeah, I a, mean, I went for the first time last year. I was like, man, I want to check this out. And it's, it's pretty overwhelming how big it is. Yeah. It is, it's over. And, and some but of the money fun. that would get spent too. I mean, some of that stuff is not cheap. No, <laughs> it's huge economic impact for the region. Yeah, it's, yeah, I bet it is. It's actually huge nationally. It contributes to national GDP. That's the size of, of there, pretty much our is field. Is there a surge in people that arrive, I suppose, from you know domestic flights into Hamilton? I suppose it's good that, that the Mystery Creek is right next to the airport. That does much. help. Yeah, look, definitely. Our flights from Christchurch are pretty much full, um, and they do put on extra services here in New Zealand if, if, if required. Uh, Wellington is always busy as well, but we get a big drive market. Again, you've talked about it before, this upper North Island has 50% of New Zealand's population, so many people drive. They'll drive from sometimes from Wellington, but they'll drive from Northland, top of the north, from Taranaki, Bay of Plenty. Mm. all into the region as well. So so are you there every single field days? Uh, I don't go there now to do any sort of uh, uh, selling, which is good. Um, again, but, it's, a, it's, a, it's a farming market, but we do participate in field days with um, campaigns. We have like a field nights campaign. So again, great, a bit like we talked about the nighttime economy, go do some great stuff during the day at field days, do business, but here's some great experiences, whether it be doing a walk in Mangatauteri for a Kiwi release uh, through to having a night experience in one of our hospo uh, entertainment and precincts go and do some night activities too so field nights we do work with them to market the region to do experiences um, after hours as well which is great so where would you like to see the region in say the next 10 20 years the region next 10 20 years better uh some some great rail connectivity and i think and driven by leisure so i think commuter commuters will be big we always want to travel to auckland but i i personally would love to go up to auckland um, if i had a concert friday night i want to go up at lunchtime i don't want to do a commuter rail service and potentially we won't have rail network going up friday night so again um, a more Mm. a more scheduled and efficient rail service across our region so look hamilton great but it'd be great to connect tiamutu tikwiti otorohonga cambridge and then eventually across the tauranga and rotorua um, I'd love to see the expressway extended. I think, look, it's great that even you know people have this roads versus rail debate. Um, but again, well, I've, to had, me- I've had both Labour and National <laughs> MPs on here, and it's very interesting hearing the debate between both sides. Yeah, and look, <laughs> I, look, I I believe in rail. I always believe in rail. But to me, road is uh, we need an expressway extension definitely to Piriti, and it's only for safety. Um, you know, it's a dangerous road. You know, and it's the good very, thing very is dangerous. we have seen. Uh, the benefits already of the expressway through Cambridge. You know, I think they announced it's been open what two years or three years, and there's not been one fatality on that piece of highway, yeah. and it's doing 110. Yeah. But it shows that a safely designed road can actually save lives. Um, and we've and so for me, that is the next dangerous stretch of highway for us is to Piriti and that whole intersection. Look, my dream would be that we'd have even have an expressway all the way to Tauranga, um, better connectivity. So I think look, rail will be important for us because obviously from a logistics manufacturing perspective. 
perspective, having Hamilton and better connection to Tauranga, but definitely through rail and also road would be great. Um, so that would be my dream. Two new hotels in the city. I'd be love to have that open. I'll tell um, Chris that. Yeah, we'll be celebrating that. Um, you know, large scale, at least 200 to 300 rooms each um, with potentially conference facilities in there and maybe a couple of, maybe four or five rooftop bars. I mean, Hamilton, for those of you who live here, if you get the chance to go up high and see our city, you're blowing away. I was in the KPMG building sometime last year, like up the top floor. And it's pretty incredible. I didn't realise how green Hamilton is. I know, is. and I love that. We are a green city. You know, like, I'm it's sorry. A lot we, of greenery. We're actually more than the garden city. <laughs> uh, you know, Christchurch people will actually, you know, sp- oh, they, they would literally keel over in horror at me saying that. But I always say to my Christchurch friends, we are the garden city of the north. We have our river is far bigger than the Avon. Um, we have beautiful tree-lined river. Plus, we have the most green city. We've got beautiful old trees that have been here. We've got a gully system. We've got big parks. We've got a we than green belt um, it is really green so for more people to just be up high see our city see the river from from up high um, and also enjoy some great DJ music or some live bands and have some drinks or maybe even have a rooftop pool would be fantastic for yeah city, well we so. don't really have that many tall buildings here. no well, and, actually, and they're we all, do well, they're, but they're office buildings and some of them are really old you know that's right I'd, I'd like to see a more modern type of um, tall building I mean and <gasps> Oh, well, that would be nice. It would be But nice. I do love our heritage buildings. And I think that we see, like, Matt Stark's doing a great job oh, of he taking does, he some, of our, yeah, yeah, yeah. some of our I also, ooh, buildings and making them beautiful. I did, I did, because um, I have had um, a couple of council, uh, councillors on here and they've said that part of the reason uh, Hamilton doesn't really have any tall buildings or many of them is because, you know, Hamilton is a fertile land, so it's a bit harder to um, build high because it, it's more costly because you have to find a hard Solid base. base. Yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. And especially along the river. You know, the river banks, oh, yeah. um, they're not built on rock, um, unlike other rivers around the world. No. So so for us, it's definitely about building things um, away from the river if we're to do more more high-rise. Um, but it definitely, for us to be able to be on the river and turn the city around, look, I would love to see, again, more things in the river, like Victoria on the river, not just pocket parks, um, yeah. but literally a promenade that goes pretty much from uh, maybe North Victoria Street, goes right along our river, um, down to uh, Ferry Bank. That would be fantastic, an upper and lower promenade. Um, look, the regional theatre will be open. I want to see that um, humming. It's going to really change the face of South Victoria Street. Um, I'd love to see the Waikato Museum obviously grow. It's also our art gallery, so I'd love to see a better connection to Victoria Street and actually seeing that whole area becoming our cultural precinct as well. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, well, if you think of um, cities like Brisbane and Melbourne, you yes, know, definitely. They have rivers going through their city. They do. Yeah. The other thing, uh, the only thing I say, and people always find that hard, is that those cities are also at river level. Uh, so if, if you guys know, our Waikato River actually is like a canyon when it goes through our city. Um, so as we have to look down on the river, that we're not actually at eye level. So unless we physically get down Valid to point. it. point, yes. Uh, Ferrybank is our only place, really. Wellington Street Beach, the, um, at the back of Hamilton Gardens, where we're actually at eye level with the river. Uh, the rest of us, um, or the rest of the city, is actually up. Um, so again, it's quite hard to engage with the river when you've got you know a few cliffs and canyons that you're going to have to try and master to get down to the river. Less chance of flooding though, I suppose that's one of the pros. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, ferry transport, love to see regular river transport. I think that would be a great option. Um, the growth of Tiawa Lakes, that would be fantastic if that goes ahead. That would be a great connection, a new town for us. Um, 
and be able to engage and, and improve Narawahia. Narawahia and Taupiri are beautiful towns and they've got amazing stories to tell around. Well, there's a negative stigma against them, isn't there? Well, Narawahia, you know, um, I went and did the, um, what is it, the Hakaramadas. Oh, right. Great. Yeah. That's, that that's, is, that's a good way to test out how <laughs> fit you are, seriously. Absolutely. It's one of our most popular short walks, mainly for I locals. Imagine, um, I imagine. It's yeah. And it's great. And, you know, now we've got Breaking Bread out there, which is a new cafe, um, again, generated by the visitor numbers. Um, we've had the Tiawa Cycle Ride extension go all the way uh, to the Hacks, which is great. Um, again, Tiawa River Ride, I'd love to see that extended all the way to Port Waikato, so you could actually cycle the Great River. Uh, and then connecting, you'll see the Tiawa River Ride has been extended to Cambridge. I'd love to see that go all the way down to uh, Horahora, when they could then connect with the Waikato River Trail. So it actually mm. becomes a river that you can actually cycle, walk, um, or do any um, sort of uh, travel activity along it. That would be another dream of mine as well. Trams. I'd love to see trams in our city. Um, Where would again, you put it, It's a city that's never had trams, but when you look at the growth of our city, you know, we're actually quite a nicely shaped round city. Um, so technically trams that actually go out and about, or even having a, an inner city tram that actually connects to Claudelands would be fantastic across the river and Hamilton East. And out to Frankton, so just have a little inner city loop tram. That would be pretty cool. Um, and be able to swim in Hamilton Lake. That would be great, wouldn't it? Um, Couldn't you, you could swim in Hamilton Lake back in the 1800s. Correct. Yeah. Um, you could. Um, but there's lots of issues with Hamilton Lake now. But again, there is new technology that's coming through that can actually eventually, it might be a bit costly, so that's probably why they can, we haven't looked at it yet, but to improve the well-being and the health of the lake. Um, and if that happens, imagine if we could just take your families or yourself and actually go for a swim in the lake. Um, and also some man-made beaches along the river that we can actually swim safely on our river will be great too. Because uh, isn't the – I know some, some people swim in the river, but I've actually yes. heard that it's not supposed to be swimmable. Oh, no, it's definitely swimmable. It is swimmable? We have a lot of people swimming. If you go along the river right now uh, this afternoon and pretty much there'll be thousands of people swimming in our river. Because I heard it was um, – I mean, obviously the Waikato River, as it gets closer to Narawahi, it starts becoming more polluted. Uh, I definitely think where it meets the Waipa River, um, but a lot of that is actually natural rather than actually waste um, going into the river. Um, it does discolour, but that's again because the Waipa uh, and the upper reaches of the Waipa, obviously, they have a lot of sediment. Um, they float down it. But look, it's the Waikato River is, is cleaner than what it ever has been. Okay. Um, All right. And well, it's, that's good to know. And it's only getting better, but yes, no, you can definitely swim in our river. I'll keep that in mind. Great. <laughs> um one last question before you go, um, in terms of Hobbiton, because it just came to me, is last time I went there, they were building something there. Uh, I don't know if it was like a bed and breakfast or what was is it? Is that it was behind like, Shire's Rest? Yes. Yes. Do you know what that is? Yes, so that's the new Hobbiton headquarters. Um, so it's like Hobbiton House. So it's for all the staff. So oh, Hobbiton right. has grown and grown over years. Um, the original farmhouse is still there. That was actually holding about eight staff members. Um, and then the rest of the staff are in portacoms and sheds all over the property. Uh, so, oh, wow. Okay. So what they were building was literally the new home for Hobbiton and all their staff, whether it be the guides, you know, they'll actually have a proper place where they can actually shower, they're able to feed their staff through a proper staff room, uh, and all their office space staff who do all the marketing and the health and safety. Oh, so and the gardeners, they all get a new base. So that's what that is. That's I, what's thought it was like a, I thought it was like a hotel or something that they were building there. <laughs> yeah, no. It's only, I think it's two stories, maybe, maybe two and a half with a mezzanine floor, but 
it's to actually house all the Hobbiton staff. So to me, it's the coming of age for Hobbiton because mm. they are that actually makes them a, a, an official uh, company to me. You kind of feel grown up when you've got your own company headquarters. Yeah, yeah. Um, you go to Disneyland or you go uh, anywhere around the world and you go to their headquarters and it's a, it's a place where everyone is. Uh, for Hobbiton, they've done exceptionally well. They've spent more of the money in the capital investment on the visitor experience um, and now it's their time to actually have their own headquarters. So that's what that building is. I would imagine that Richard would have plans for expansion with Hobbiton. I, I imagine he'd have some ideas of yeah. what he wants to do. Has, I, he, has he shared them with you? No, not really. I think, <laughs> look, look um, Russell is an ideas man. He comes up with Russell, stuff all the yeah, time. Sorry, not Richard. That's all right. And he, um, to me, look, he have, they have invested. They always improve the experience. There is always stuff going on at Hobbiton um, through to whether it be selling some of the roads for the buses, through to building a second retail option, through to adding Green Dragon in, um, mm. through to Shire's Rest, through to having a little pop-up bar there in summer, through to having an eyesight there. They, they always reinvest in the product because as we all know you can't just sit um, on your on, on your hands no. going, that's my attraction we'll yeah. just keep it the way it is it always needs to keep evolving that's and right Hobbiton you, do really really well at doing that have you met Peter Jake Peter Jackson? No, I've never, I've never personally met Peter Jackson. Been in the same room as him as most of us have, but we've never actually got to, you know, press the flesh and have a bit of a joke oh, with him. That's but. unfortunate. Um, in terms of, well, this this just occurred to me in regards to uh, the coronavirus and obviously everything that's happening with that. Because um, I was thinking that, about this before you actually came in, and I was like, man, how would you, how would you still? Uh, do all the marketing and promote it because obviously um, China is one of our biggest um, tourist expects um, expects here. So in terms of how how you re rejig it, yeah, rejig it, rejig the marketing, and you did say domestic was a big part of it, and obviously I suppose it's something you're keeping an eye on. Absolutely, and I don't think it's something that's going to be resolved. It's not anytime gonna, soon. No, no, look, I think most most New Zealanders in the world need to prepare themselves for at least a, a whole year of coronavirus. I would say we need to plan for until June next year, whether yeah. you be a business or an operator. Um, that's probably the deadline or the the the, the, the game plan right now. Um, however, just at our market, so China is our fourth largest market. I so, thought it was our second. No, so number one is Australia, number yeah, two obviously. is UK, Europe, and number oh, three really? is the Americas, USA, oh. and Canada, uh, and then China comes in as fourth. Um, so. For us, look, Interesting. it's it's probably similar though to Rotorua. Look, Rotorua, China is their fourth largest market as well, but they are more heavily impacted than we are. And the reason why is there's a lot of businesses that have been built for China Group Travel based in Rotorua, whether it be group dining, whether it be group transportation, hotels and motels that only deal in the China Group Travel market. So for them, they are far more heavily impacted right now than we are. But look, Hamilton and Waikato, we definitely are impacted by coronavirus. We, you know, our big operators as well, um, they get a lot of group China travel coming through, so they're feeling it um, right through to some of our hotels. who literally have might have a small bus tour normally once a week of eight passengers that would stay at their hotel before they fly to Christchurch. They're impacted too, so it's starting to bite. Um, but again, uh, there are other sectors in, in New Zealand that are far more heavily impacted. You okay. know, I think the figure I heard yesterday was 17% of the tourism sector is impacted right now by coronavirus or, or the loss of business out of China. The logging and the, and the forestry industry right now, we're up to 770% of impact. So. 
you know, wow. th- these are forestry companies closing down, letting go of forestry gangs. Yeah, I've heard a lot of businesses um, are closing. and, and It's really it, sad. Yeah, so yeah. I think, look, the whole country actually is going to be impacted by coronavirus. Um, some of the sectors that initially work in China are exporters. We are impacted immediately, but it's going to start to bite throughout the rest of the country as well. So, look, how we rejig things, um, again, fortunately for us, we do work in a range of markets. We don't have all our eggs in one basket That's for international. Good. Do you do you ever plan for these type of events, though, like some type of catastrophic event, or do you have any safeguards in place for worst-case scenarios? Yeah, so, look, it hap- it's happened quite a lot, unfortunately, for New Zealand. We yeah. have had, you know, again, the terror attack. When the terror attack in Christchurch happened, we obviously lose a lot of what we call our safe markets. So Japan um, traditionally only travel to places that are what they deem as safe. So um, we had, obviously, a lot of countries um, relook at their travel when, obviously, we had the terror attack in Christchurch, that we weren't such a welcoming country anymore. Um, for a country that celebrates its diversity and gender equality, all of a sudden um, we were killing people, um, which again just sent ripples around the world. So mm. it kind of changed our, 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 our safe destination travel uh, status around the world. Then we had Fakati White Island, um, which was a most terrible tragedy. Um, but again, people might think, well, how does that impact us? Well, what happens is people decide, oh, um, it doesn't seem too safe. New Zealand have a lot of earthquakes. Um, they now have obviously volcanic eruptions, even though they knew we we are a vo- live volcanic field. People do start to question whether, again, are we now not safe based on our natural disaster um, status? Because again, we, we they might see us as quite a risky country. We call ourselves the Shaky Isles. We've grown up with it, but again, for others who don't come from those sorts of countries and have never been exposed to natural disasters, they do start to question: um, Is it a safe place to go? So, so how do you how do you push through that. How do we push through that as we talk about the other things um, that we do have and the other types of activities um, that we have 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 here are above the ground, non-geothermal sometimes. Um, Hamilton is meant to be what we call a seismic haven, but look, the whole country has earthquake uh, fault lines everywhere. But at the um, Touchwood, as as a region, um, we do have the odd little uh, tremor, but we you know we aren't in the the epicenter of some of the big trench fault lines. That I think we that's have why some country. of the businesses are moving here apparently, according yeah. to Vanessa. One reason, not yeah, all. that's right. Yeah, yeah, that is one reason definitely, and also the youngest population. That's another. The great thing for yeah, us well, as well. Yeah, well, this is the thing that I don't think a lot of people know because I only found this out recently as well. That I think Hamilton has like the highest or one of the highest populations um, per capita in terms of youth. Correct. So we are we are the youngest by by median age, I think, which is around thirty two to thirty three um, of young people. I mean, that people might think, well, that's not young, but actually, it's that's the median. So yeah. it's all the others below and above. So we do have this big concentration of of young New Zealanders um, deciding to start their life here, to study here, and to stay and actually progress their career or move here for careers. So the talent pool is pretty educated, um, and it, but the great thing, it's also youthful, so that means that we're a bit more innovative and we have entrepreneurial spirit and we're prepared to push 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 the barrow sometimes rather than just have status quo. So yeah. it's a really attractive place. And we're also the Silitron Valley um, right now. You know, we're, We've outstripped um, Wellington and Auckland for the last two years in the number of IT jobs uh, in companies that are based in community anywhere else in New Zealand. Ancillary? So, exactly. Yeah. Ancillary, Company X, IT Partners. Uh, uh, the list could goes on. There are so many amazing companies here, whether they be doing global animation, creating mobile apps, or building some of the best websites in the world. A lot of that work's happening here in the Waikato. Mm. Which may lead to your next guest. <laughs> Possibly, yes, yes. Um, well, hey, this has been great. I might wrap up there. Now, if anyone wants to 
check out uh, any of the tourist attractions and the Waikato and stuff, where's the best place for them to go? So, of course, we are on every social media channel under the sun, uh, including Weibo but, and WeChat. But let's just start with the ones for the New Zealand market, obviously. Um, <laughs> our website is waikatonz.com, C-O-M. Um, so that's literally got everything on there. You can subscribe to, subscribe to newsletters and updates. Um, and then from there, there's also links to all our social media channels. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. Um, and, of course, we're also on all the other China travel uh, websites as well. So, again, uh, search for Hamilton Waikato uh, on Twitter, uh, on Instagram. We are Waikato New Zealand. Um, and I can't remember all the others. But, look, Hamilton and Waikato. I'll, I'll post links in the descriptions yeah, and everything. That would be fantastic. And there's some great pictures of Jason on there too. Oh, goodness. But there's definitely <laughs> pictures of other great things you can do. And, look, and, and Facebook's a big one for us. You know, one of our most popular posts we have is every Wednesday. We do Wednesday Walk. We promote a free walk that people might not have done in our region and it's huge oh. it's huge engagement because it's free people like to challenge their mates you know oh look at this let's do this walk now or you know a thousand steps to do this um, and free family activities too so definitely check us out cool well that's the show guys uh, make sure you share like and subscribe and until next time stay safe Ta-ki-ti-ano. Ta-ki-ti-ano.